Welcome to GOB with Christy and Kathy, where we talk about writing, reading, and life in between. I'm Christy in South Florida. And I'm Kathy in South Dakota. We're two newbie writers who share our love of food, wine, and crime fiction. We have interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors on our Quarks and Conversation episodes. And don't forget our Words in Progress episodes where we have fun writing lessons with writing experts. Join us for today's episode. Welcome to Corks and Conversation 2 with Chris Kelvin. Yes. And so for those of you who might not remember, we had Chris on the podcast in April of 2021, which I can't believe is almost two years ago now. But we don't count them as years because of the pandemic. We're going to get into that. But <laughs> that was when All That Fall came out. And that was a great book. And we just had so much fun. And we're, we're just so happy she's back with Under a Broken Sky. Anyway, well, Chris, it's good to have you here. It is wonderful to be back. I really remember talking with you both and enjoying it so much. I think that was one of my very first um, interviews, possibly my first as a as a debut thriller author. And you were just so kind. And I, it has a special spot for me. So thank you for letting me come back. Oh, thanks. Yeah. That was, um, you know, in the middle of the pandemic, kind of, you know, oh. we were still just some people were vaccinated even at that right. time. So no, it was a really um, difficult time. And now it has its own difficulties, right? As people try to adjust yeah. and change to, to different lives. Uh, many people changing yeah. their work lives uh, permanently. Um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting time for our country. And the world, I think. So before we get into some more conversation, anybody else having a little wine or a beverage? I'm having a little Zinfandel. What do you have, Christy? I have a Sauvignon Blanc. I have because I write from 4 to 6.30 in the morning and I'm in a very tough part of a new series. I have coffee, delicious coffee from a local brewer with oat milk. Oh, and nice. I don't usually have oh. coffee in the evening, but I have. I was going to say, are you going to be able to sleep? I sleep just fine because I'm getting up between three and four and then writing. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, I do. Well, let's do a quick cheers with cheers. our coffee and wine to Chris's new beautiful, beautiful yes. book. So much. Cheers, Thank Chris. So, much. so thrilled for you. Thank you for having me back. Mm. So one thing I really wanted to talk about with you is I think because when we got together, it was kind of a dark time and it was just scary and hard. When I've been on your social media lately and when I, and everyone needs to follow Chris, we'll give the links and your website, I'm seeing a, a consistent theme of gratitude yes. and your blogs on your website, you know, have full, have kind of tags and gratitude has the most entries. And then I was on your Facebook page and you had hashtag gratitude. And I love that. And I was wondering what that means to you and what um, why you feel so strongly about that. I, I appreciate so much that question. Um, so we talked a little bit about this last time, but, uh, you know, I'm not unique in having had a really tough childhood with uh, just afraid to be in my own home, feeling like I had to make myself very small, not sure I would survive. And again, this is unfortunately not um, unique. And reading was my escape. I got to, you know, go to the library from a very young age and really, you know, found a way to sort of have a life outside of life. But I still lived very much a fear-based life for most of my life. I thought I have to get married and do it right, have kids, uh, excel in school, even if I don't learn anything because I'm concerned about the grades more than about what I'm learning. You know, just really wanted to be a good girl and then a good young woman to, mm -hmm. to be safe. And instead, I got, you know, divorced twice and 
I had a child out of wedlock who I adore, but I, you know, all the things, the plans, so I'll just be perfect and no one will hurt me. That's not a way to live your life. So now I'm 67 with my first traditionally published book out when I was 65 with only three manuscripts ever written and all of them sold all of them out. And I'm trying to figure out what I, you know, I have to call my last chapter. I mean, at 67, every, no one ever knows how much time they have, but I have to say that having found writing and, you know, I adore my children, but I also think I could have had a, a good life without children. I don't think they're the answer to all the things that happened to me. But what was at least partially the answer was almost not stumbling on, but trying so many different things and then finding out that as a lifelong reader, writing and writing fun adventures with no harm to children was what really, you know, did it for me. And it wasn't that I was driven like so many of my author friends who, you know, kept journals when they were young and always knew they wanted to be writers. And I never knew I wanted to be a writer, but I was trying different things. I owned a secondhand mm-hmm. store. I, you know, I just did different things. And then writing was like, wow, this makes me feel like I want to live to be a hundred. This makes me grateful. And this makes me recognize that so many people, all of us have struggles and all of us are trying to figure out how we belong. And somehow I found it with these almost, I have to say, silly books, right? Because they're for fun. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't write anything profound, a cure for something. You know, I found something fun. And each person, including both of you, who reach out, who touch you know, the things that I'm doing and tell me about the things you're doing, your daughter in Korea, all these things. I have a, really a, a joy in life that is so unexpected and uh, made me discover that, first of all, you don't need to know the answer. You don't need to know what will do it for you. You just mm-hmm. have to keep trying. You just have to try. Oh, I'm going to love gardening. Guess what? I'm the worst person ever to try to grow a plant. <laughs> I'm going to love, you know, whatever it is and just keep going. And hopefully for all of us, there'll be that, that thing. And for me, there was this thing. So gratitude, no one has asked me that question, but it runs very deep for me. Um, I cannot believe I ended up um, not where I wanted to be, which was married and part of a couple and happy and, you know, uh, everything, just sort of the picture that I thought would Mm -hmm. solve everything. I'm about as far from that. Anybody have anyone who wants to date me, let me know. But you know, I'm not, <laughs> no, we're making any of that. But I have this other thing that is just yeah. mind-blowingly nice. That's great. I mean, what's where we're all searching for, honestly, but we just don't know it and don't recognize it sometimes. And I think that's very inspirational. I know for myself and I know I have lots of friends and, you know, we're in our 50s and we're like, hey, we got to find the thing that brings us joy or happiness and embrace it. Right. And and you still the coolest thing is you have time. In fact, recent evidence yeah. is that the 60s are the happiest. Um, I have read this for people. Happiest decade. Yeah. So you're just too young. Just, you yeah. know, face it. You <laughs> just have that's too the young. problem. Yeah, I got it. You know, Chris, I, I absolutely appreciate deeply what you just shared. And I also think that sharing that is such an incredible gift to give other people because you just don't know who's going to listen to this and go, oh, I, I don't have to be this thing. What I, what I expected and I also believe in swimming in the good. I do. I really focus on a gratitude practice in my journaling and that kind of thing. 
But I also, my husband and I, we try to talk about, we call it swimming in the good and really spending time on what does work and what is good in your day because humans have how many thousands, isn't like 80,000 thoughts a day and 80% of them are negative by by wow. nature. And so and I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts about gratitude and the fact that you put that out there and do hashtag gratitude and call your blog posts gratitude based, but then you just mm-hmm. don't know who you're going to touch. And that, that alone, just think of that. Like that just makes mm-hmm. my heart just swell. Like, <laughs> <a grinch or> <laughs> well, I've not heard that swimming in the good. I, yeah. I love that expression. And I will say that when I go to sleep at night, I allow myself or I encourage myself to think of three good things that happened that day. I do not mm-hmm. allow myself to review what went wrong or how I'm going to do better. If it's thought starts to come in, that was one of the things that wasn't good that day. Mm-hmm. I go, no, this is the moment before I go to sleep. And I don't do a whole long thing about it. I just go, oh, I ran into Susie and that, mm-hmm. that made me happier. Oh, I wrote, you know, a chapter and I I paid a bill. I didn't think I'd pay, you know, those three things. Mm-hmm. And then I just stop. I don't do mm-hmm. anything good. more. I don't write it down. Yeah. And in the morning when I'm walking um, and I'm I'm going to have some long days now doing a lot of things, I tell myself to describe myself in three words and I don't oh. edit it. I'm just walking. And so I might say determined, reliable, sad. I might say thoughtful, scared, whatever. Three words. That's it. And then I keep walking. And, I, you know, for me, it's just interesting because... Every day there are three different words and I realize how in some respect, how meaningless they are because they don't (laughs) stick for more than one day. And so it's nice to just allow myself that snap when no one's around. Mm -hmm. What are the three ways I feel about would describe myself to someone right now? And they also often surprise me. (laughs) Like, I don't think I'm going to say, you know, happy. I go, whoa, where'd that come from? You know, that's really cool. So it's all part of that same thing you're doing. Swimming in the good. Yeah, I, I am an inbred optimist, but it's still so darn easy to focus on the crap that we tell ourselves that isn't even real half the time. Right. Like it doesn't even, right? Or uh, besides the fact that most things actually do work out, right? Except for the crap that doesn't. And that's so yucky and bad that, you know, I just think it's such a, I, I just, yeah. I love this conversation. And Chris, and I think you're an inspiration to so many writers. All right, you guys, I think it's time for the question in the bottle. I don't know if you remember this, Chris, kind of a wild question that you okay. might get to at the bottom of the bottle. Christy, I don't know what she's going to pull out. <laughs> we can do a few of these if we want, but these are um, either or questions. Okay. So the oh, first okay. one is Instagram or Twitter? Instagram. So I used to do Twitter much more. And for all the reasons that people started having concerns about it and was it still <laughs> going to be there and was it changing? Um, I got more into doing Instagram. I really like stories where things on mm-hmm. Instagram only go up for the 24 hours. Of course, people can capture them and keep them. It's not like you put it out there and you can yeah. make it disappear. But there's something freeing in thinking I'm sharing this and then it's basically going away. Uh, I also don't feel as sort of bothered by a lot of stuff that I don't want to see scrolling past in Twitter now. If it's not ads, it's other things that they're offering me that I'm not interested in. Mm -hmm. Instagram has that in the body of it as well, but the stories don't as much. There are still a few ads, but I feel a little bit more uh, in a bubble, a little more peaceful when I'm sharing things on Instagram. I like Instagram too, better. Yeah. And people say, oh, I don't want to do Instagram because I don't want to do just photos. I want to say things. You can say the very same thing you'd say in a tweet. 
yeah. in the text that you put with your photo on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So it's just like a tweet. All right. I'm going to ask one more um, either or because I think I know the answer to this one. Roller coasters or water slides? So that's really interesting. When I did those things, I was the roller coaster queen. I mean, I would go on any scary roller coaster and love it. And I would go with my kids on anything, roller coasters. No. There weren't very many water slides <laughs> oh, where okay. I lived. Uh, on the peninsula where I grew up, I I don't know where you would even, there wasn't a water slide park that I know of. Um, yeah. So there might've, so there wasn't really an option. Uh, I was a competitive swimmer for many years on swim team. So, and, and I loved the water. So I think had there been water slide options and when I went to resorts where there were water slides mm-hmm. and they'd be small, they weren't, you know, great. Um, I would go on those as well. But uh, yeah, so never really had that choice. How about you guys? One of my jobs as in my youth was a lifeguard at Disney. And mm. so the water slides, I love them. <laughs> I like the roller coasters a lot too, but the water slides, I just, you know, I, at that time we, we were crazy. So we had different ways <laughs> of going down, you know, not the ways you were allowed to and, <laughs> and what's the fastest way to go down and stuff. So what about you, Kathy? Either Kathy's like, neither one. Actually, I, I am going to say that I hate <laughs> roller coasters. I hate them. I'm terrified. Oh, I don't like heights. Wow. But I do love water. And so if it's a gentle, yeah. you know, water slide, I'm totally like down. Like the lazy river. The That's kids. not really a water slide. Oh, but <laughs> yeah. But even, you know, like a, you know, a corkscrew one. Yeah. Like, if I feel like I'm not going to die, that I'm that's game. I'm great with that. But um, yeah, I hate roller coasters. I just fiercely hate them. So. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably sane. Too. Yeah, I just I'm like, why do I want to go? And, and with my kids, you know, we would go to whatever parks, whatever. And I think, why do I want to feel like we're all going to die? Like, I don't enjoy that as a mother. I don't think yeah, that's, that's fun. Yeah, that's really not. Yeah. No, no. So I'm just like, I'll be over here. You guys go. We're all going <laughs> to die. Yeah, that's what I felt like. It was horrible. That is a, that is a strong reaction. It was, yeah. All right, Chris. Let's talk about Under a Broken Sky. Yes, I was going to say that. Um, Yeah, because um, we haven't said a whole lot about it, but we don't want to give anything away. But if you were a fan of All That Fall, which, of course, you should Mm. be, then you're going to love this. Um, And I love this. There was one description I I found on your website by Tracy Clark, who we're going to be talking with soon. Oh, fabulous. Yeah, she's great. I just thought it kind of embodied the whole thing. And it was it's abandonment, acceptance, forgiveness, heady concepts to weave into a crime novel. But Calvin does it like a champ. What a fun read. More, please. (laughs) And that's exactly right. I mean, you really do Mm -hmm. talk about like emotional things with Mm -hmm. the characters. And, you know, you just got to love Emma. But man, that poor lady, she goes through a lot. I'm like, she does. I like, you know, Chris, you're kind of responsible for that. (laughs) So I, I'm doing two things at once. I just want to say something for just a minute. We were talking about gratitude and about Tracy, because they tell, you know, the advice to authors, especially new authors like me is to have sort of safe people that you ask for blurbs that are your friends and you expect they're likely to, and then have reach people that you ask. And so uh, I didn't know Tracy and um, you know, she was a reach for me. I, she's one of my favorite authors ever mm-hmm. and, and very excited with her new book, Hyde, which I guess is what you're going to be That's, talking about, but also her yeah. prior series with Cass Rains. I just love her work. 
And so I was nervous about asking her. I had, you know, been at one event with her and she could not have been more generous and kind because someone as busy as she is and works as hard and said, of course, I'll read it. I'm delighted to read it. And as you can see, she really read it. Some people read, you know, give you a blurb that sort of is still wonderful for them to do, but you can tell they've sort of put their toe in it. So I I really, I know, I think she's amazing. She's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you're going to meet with her again. As far as what I'm working on, so I have a couple of things going on. I got really grabbed by a different idea than Emma and Alibi and had a good conversation with my agent about, you know, just taking a break and then going back to that uh, because you should write what is, you know, what is driving you. Mm -hmm. And especially, quote, at my age, <laughs> um, you know, want to do what is is foremost in my mind. So mm-hmm. um, I've not talked about this, so I'm going to be careful about it. But what I'll say is that the Emma series is set in Sacramento and this new series is set in San Francisco. And my parents were 95 and 94 live in San Francisco. Um, one of my adult kids now still lives in San Francisco and I know it very well. And the main character is, again, a woman who doesn't have children, because um, for me, having my first two kids when I was 24 and 25, and then another one when I was 42, and raising them all as a single mom rapidly, the first two were like two and four when I got divorced, again, the third one I had on my own, I think I want to explore women's lives who don't have children and see what that feels like and looks like. Mm -hmm. And so the protagonist, again, is a 30-ish year old woman, very different from Emma in the sense that this woman has some anger issues. (laughs) Uh, And so that's interesting also for me to explore this. This is a dual timeline. So uh, there's a a small, a 20% historical in the 1920s, the time of the depression, and then 80% is modern day. San Francisco. Mm, I'm having so much fun with it. Who knows, you know, what will happen and whether other people will like it. But, you know, it's it's really uh, just delightful for me to to step in with those characters. It's again a thriller. There's people get killed, but no children. (laughs) No Uh, children are harmed. Yeah, No children are harmed. You know, I'm just a little bit of a break. I have outlined where I would go with Emma and Alibi. I have books three and four kind of ready. And I'm not an outliner. So when I say outline, I sort of have the concepts of right. very broad concepts. So those will come. I will do those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, you know, more than anyone in the world but me. <laughs> so that's it. We're excited that we're the inside scoop. You have absolutely <laughs> only inside. I haven't even done that in my newsletter or anything because, you know, I'm, I'm working my way. Uh, 30,000 words into it and things could obviously change. Yeah, yeah um, we understand that. So I love that you're choosing what is bringing you joy right now to write. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. Like you said, the place you're at in your life, it's so good to take stock of that and be like, this is what I want to do. And writing is supposed to be joyful and and bring us joy. It's not always going to be joyful, but some of it's supposed to, right? We're choosing this. So that's really exciting. No, absolutely. I'm enjoying it so much. And it's also the only way to kind of get yourself, if you're going to be writing from four to six in the morning and get yourself to do it, um, is to roll out of bed and know that that piece. The other thing I do, which I think is different from a lot of authors, I know the advice is the first draft is supposed to be just messy and you get the story out there and you can't allow yourself to wordsmith and go back and redo yeah. it and because, you know, then you'll never do it. But I tried that this time. I thought I'm just going to just put out the story. And the problem is I learn the characters and the story in that polishing that occurs on the 17th draft of chapter one. 
There were literally <laughs> 17 drafts of all that fall. So I spent four years and 17 drafts and it just, oh, that's how it worked. With Underbroken Sky was on contract, so I couldn't do it that way. But I still did it much closer to, I have to like chapter one before I can do chapter two. I can't just put a bunch of X's for the parts I'm going to fill in later. So yeah, if there's a clunky word, I just want to hear that sentence sing before I go to the next part. And that's what makes it fun is is getting. So I now have about six chapters that I'm just kind of like, yes, I could share this with you today. You know, but it, mm-hmm. I have a whole mess of a lot more, mm-hmm. but I didn't keep going after mm-hmm. 20 chapters or something. I said, I got to get the 20 where I want them, even if 10 of them get thrown out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is what, what's so great about talking to writers about writing and what, and what works for them. And so other writers can, can go, oh, I'm going to try that. And I'm going to take away, right, what works for me. Um, Because there's no one rule. I love the concept of just get it down and then you can shape it. But that also led me to a draft that really was almost unworkable to redo because I just gotten so far into it without really refining. With Broken Sky, again, because it was my first book ever on contract where I, so all that fall was sold after I wrote it, right? And Mm -hmm. it was a two book contract. So then I had to write Under Broken Sky in a year you know, just sight unseen, they knew I was writing the second one, Mm -hmm. but I had to figure it out and write it and everything. And as a person who takes more years than that, I wasn't sure how to do it, but I did it. And I had like two weeks left and I gave it to my agent uh, so that she could take a quick look at it because, uh, you know, I loved it. I always love what I write after I've written it. And I also know I'm not, that's not common for most of my author friends and I don't care. I just, you know, I, I, it doesn't mean I think anyone else will love it. It doesn't mean I'm telling people it's a great book. My agent, Abby Saul, who I love, sent me an email and the gist of it, although she packaged it a little bit, not much softer than this, you got to lose 30,000 of the 90,000 words because <laughs> this is reading too much like chiclet. We're getting way into Emma's world. She's helping someone run for governor. She's got this other subplot. All this stuff was happening with Emma that it doesn't have to do with the thriller. And so it's great. I love the thrilling aspects of it. But why don't you give us the killer's point of view oh and gosh. then drop uh, all that all that stuff at two weeks and and you can't turn in a book that's 30,000 words short. Right. So I, I called her up and I said, what? And she was great. She goes, you can do it. It's, I know you can do it. I said, I only write first thing in the morning for a couple hours. That's how I write. I can't write. No, you're going to write all day long for two weeks because you're going to do 10,000 words a day and then you're going to edit it and then you're going to, she goes, it'll be fine. It'll be good. So that is the book you have in your hand. And I have to say that she was correct because now many of the readers who review it and comment on it love the killer's little brief voice that pops in there all the mm-hmm. time um, where you don't know who they are, but it gives it that thriller feel. And I had fun once I had to put it in there mm-hmm. and then just sort of expanding on some of the other things that were happening. Um, there's a character named Daphne who whose role... Uh, got pushed sooner. I mean, that thing, uh, you know, was just like Frankenstein on the table with all the pieces. <laughs> I'm going, you want what? I know. And um, so you did that much revision in two weeks. Two weeks. So what I will say I learned from that is um, we can all do things we don't think we can do. Mm-hmm. And that writing is not this precious little fragile thing that I think it is and that most of us think it is. 
that requires all whatever the things are that have to be the way that they are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have a hard deadline, which I did, I think I had already gotten a month's extension, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> um, you know, I just it just had to happen. And mm-hmm. I still sent it to two developmental editors and, you know, they quickly turned it around. And so I got some help at the end. Uh, but my agent is some agents are not also um, that uh, directive or interactive. Mm-hmm. Abby Saul is a just dynamite. I mm-hmm. think she's the best agent in the world. Aww. And she's got all these now high powered, best selling clients, incredible people, but she still looks after debut authors, people like me who are you wow. know up and coming and gives you all the direction that she gives her top authors. She's incredible. So if you are a writer and you write in the thriller, mystery, women's story space, Abby Saul, you should query her. Brilliant. She's very smart. Um, she's kind, accessible, but, you know, pulls no punches. Okay. <laughs> because if you can imagine, yeah. I'm like, I'm old, leave me alone. Because <laughs> <laughs> Writing's a strange thing because it is, on one hand, very personal and very, but it is still a product. You are creating a product, and it is a commercial venture. I had, I was in a fortunate enough to be in a small group workshop with Lee Child, so I think one of the best thriller writers, if not the best of all time. And so there were just, I think, eight of us, and it's not because wow. I was a special person. I paid to, to be in it. Um, you <laughs> had to apply as a master class thing, and he didn't keep the money. The money went to you know, whatever the good cause was that it went to. It was all day. It was like eight hours with Lee Child and eight people. And one of the things that he shared that stuck with me most, because he read, you know, some of each of our work and then made suggestions and so on. And we all made suggestions to one another. But he said, you know, listen to anyone. First of all, don't share your work too early. So when you're first starting it and so on, and I'm not first starting the one I just shared with you, but when you're ready Um, If people give you advice, whether it's the editor, the agent, whoever, listen with an open mind and then only make the changes that resonate with you. But don't tell yourself, Mm. I, I, this is my product. It's finished at the same time. Don't tell yourself, well, they know better than I do. So I had that when Abby Mm. did the whole 30,000 words have to go. I looked at each of the pieces that she, you know, just bullet pointed this, 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 and was in agreement with probably three of the five. And then the two I left. So I don't think it is a product, but I think, Mm that it belongs to the author and that getting input is important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Remembering, does it resonate? Does it fit with my voice with who I am? And there's still a lot of room (laughs) to accept things that, that are changes. Right. That is incredibly great advice from an incredible author. I mean, I, that what a privilege that must've been. It was really, it's funny because he, I I don't think he enjoyed um, doing it. (laughs) Um, He was quite gracious and he did talk about the importance of being kind. He said one of the things he's learned as an author and here as a super, super, super famous author is, you know, kindness matters to everyone that you interact with readers and everyone um, in the world. He also was helpful in this thing about promotion because he said, you know, being successful is fundamentally about, yes, there's some degree of talent but it's putting in the work and then there's some degree of luck. And he said he has helped people by not only blurbing them, but putting them in his newsletter that goes to millions of people, you know, someone that he loved and he wanted to lift up. And he said, maybe they got a bump in sales for a day, but maybe not even that. He said, running around, trying to get all the things said about you and all the connections, just keep writing, work hard, you know, improve your writing and your craft and be kind. 
and hope for a little luck. And other than that, if you post on social media, fine. If you don't, fine. You know, right. he, his advice was that people right now are just running around with how do I get lifted up? Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. It's, that's sort of yeah. a fallacy. Yeah. It is exhausting and it, it can just drag you down because I think there's so many writers who view this with such pain, <laughs> this process, right? And there's a lot of other things we could all be doing and we're here for a reason and it is easy to forget sometimes. Okay. Christy has a final question for you, Chris. Okay. Okay. If you could choose one of your characters to be your personal chef, who would you choose and why? <laughs> this is the best question ever because I don't think I have any of my characters ever say anything. Um, <laughs> they all go to restaurants or pick up takeout or... I'm going to go with Luke the teenager. <laughs> I was going to think. I was thinking that. <laughs> really? Because first of all, you have to spend time with the person. And again, I like teenagers. I think they're fascinating. And they often are interested in, in new things. And so I got the sense that Luke, you know, he was interested in spending time with a three-year-old. He didn't know he would be. And I assume he would probably go at it with some, you know, some interest in other cultures, foods and things. I think I'd go with Luke. Yeah. Yeah, that's a smart choice because, you know, they're flexible. They'll they'll learn new stuff and they can. This is the thing. Now you've got me thinking about what he would cook for me and my family. That's an interesting question. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, well, Chris, it's been fun again. And, you know, we wish you the best success on this book as well as the one you're writing. I can't wait to see that one. Well, thank you. It's been very, very, very delightful. All right. Well, let's say a cheers to Chris and her beautiful book. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. Subscribe to our podcast on our website, gameofbookspodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, you can give us a five-star rating or review. You can also subscribe on YouTube where you can watch and listen. On GameOfBooksPodcast.com, you can find all the information about what we talked about on this episode. And you can sign up for our newsletter and enter our fun contests and giveaways. We also post our stories and links on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Hope to see you there. I can guarantee you that we had fun today. And we hope you did too. Cheers.